Hello and welcome to the Her Story podcast powered by Digital Women. I am Lucy Hall and my co-host is... Sean Millie. I'm trying to get as much energy into my voice as Lucy has. Hi. Hello. Fantastic. And today we are joined by the fabulous Kate Bond. Hi, Kate. Hi, hi. How are you doing? Good, thank you. And Sean is just going to do a quick introduction about Kate and then we're going to sit down and we're going to ask you lots of questions and we're going to get to know you a little bit better and let our amazing community find out about Kate Bond. Oh, this is exciting. And in the interest of full disclosure, dear listeners, I've known Kate for a little while and um, I consider her one of my best friends. So if I get a little bit drippy and, you know, a little bit, I'll try not to blow too much smoke because she hates that anyway. But just so you know, we do know each other quite well. But Lucy and Kate, this is the first time that they're going to be meeting. So this really is friends introducing friends and seeing what happens. So I I can't wait, actually. So uh, Lucy, as she always does, being the boss, gave me the job of doing the little introduction. And it is going to be just a little introduction because Kate has loads to say and she'll say a lot better about herself than I can. So what do I love about Kate? What I love about Kate is that she is brilliant and inspires me on a personal level But when you say that to her, she shrinks, you know, like we all do when we go, oh, God, no, please don't say that. She's so clever, so generous, so kind, so hilariously funny. And she's done some amazing things around technology as a non-technologist. And as you will probably know by now, I'm an accidental techie, too. So I don't consider myself a technologist, but I do consider that I know an awful lot about technology and people and how you do stuff with technology and people in business, which makes me a digital woman, just like you, just like Lucy, and just like you, Kate. So why don't we kick off with, when we say the phrase digital woman to you, and and we're saying we're all digital women, what does that mean to you? What do you think when you hear that phrase? I think it sounds amazing, like people I wanna know, digital women they they sound like they're going to be at the forefront of whatever they're doing and they're going to have a strong opinion about something for me I probably as ever feel like I'm not quite there I don't quite belong in that group but I think that probably comes from just a lifetime of being other whether it was the fact that I'm an identical twin so you're always half of a two you're never a complete thing on your own or whether it's not being expected to be in the space that you're in or that you don't look as people perceived you to look or you know you come from a different way of thinking to be in the space that you're in I'm I'm perpetually that kind of other which sometimes is a blessing and I think often is a bit of a curse if you are wandering around with any kind of lack of confidence or anything other than a sort of massively inflated ego sometimes. Yeah, I guess it's it's hard. It's not. It's good to feel like you're not like everybody else. I think everyone likes to feel they're a bit special, right? We should all feel a bit special about ourselves. But yeah, if you're trying that pressure to fit in, especially when you're a younger person making your way in the world, Kate, I mean, there'll be lots of people listening in and there'll be lots of hopefully young people, young women listening in. Sorry, Lucy, I know you're pulling a face when I say that, but I don't actually consider myself to be. Well, I'm young at heart, Luce. How's that? Does that, does that fit it? Sean, we can call them younger women. Does that younger. work? Yeah, okay. Younger. Yeah, fine. Whoever, right? But we can remember what it was like, right? You don't you don't come out of wherever fully formed as you are. So when you think back, it was it harder? And I'm interested actually in this identical twin issue as well. Um Lucy, did that th- I saw your face when when Kate was talking about that and you kind of went, "Oh, well, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it?" It it says something, not quite sure what. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like, I, I myself have got three sisters, um, so I know, I know, you know, what it's like to have kind of like sisters and family around and that kind of thing, and to be kind of, you know, maybe the different one sometimes, or you know, that kind of thing. But I'm, it must be really, it must have been really difficult actually um, to have somebody who's exactly the same as you almost, and um, how you know, I, I wouldn't know how to navigate navigate that at all like what why would you say that that made you kind of like an other well I think there's kind of a multiple number of things in terms of sitting in the other of which the sort of identical twin thing is a piece in as much that 
identical twins are more common now when we've got sort of things like IVF, et cetera, et cetera, where they, they're sort of multiple births is less of a novelty. I think in the sort of late 60s, very early 70s, multiple births were definitely a novelty. Um, I believe that my mother was put in hospital for like the last four months of her nine months um, pregnancy, um, literally rolled out in a wheelchair with a, um, a tablecloth with a hole cut in the top of it for her head on her last outing before we were born. And she's only a very little lady. And I, I, I am advised that she was much wider than she was tall, trying to carry two, two babies, albeit we were relatively small. Apparently we were pretty big for twins. Um, and so there's that thing of being other because it was unusual at that time. There was that thing of being other. I'm told that my sister and I had our own language and we would communicate with each other before we communicated with other people. People did struggle to tell us apart. My mother and my my older brother, we have an older brother. Again, if I talk in the plural, forgive me, I'm not thinking I'm the queen. It's just that, you know, there's been a lot of plural. So, you know, we would we would often get mixed up and and that's that need to stake your identity of who I am and who I am as an individual, not as a half, because we were always the twins. We were never, you know, our individual names or we were always a collective. You put in a highly migratory um, childhood whereby I was went to six or seven primary schools, possibly more. I can't really remember. One of them we went to three times, a couple of them we went to twice across international boundaries. So whether it was in Australia or in the UK, I had three secondary schools before I was 14. You know, just that thing of constantly being a curiosity, you know, whether it's standing in front of the class because you're a new person yet again, or because you have an identical twin. And I think also when you're little, there is definitely um, a process of you're always dressed the same. I mean, thank God we don't live in America. We'd probably still have the same haircut and the same dresses and, you know, live next door to each other. But we don't. And we're very much our own individual people. But you just never get seen as an individual. And somehow if, you know, if someone calls you the wrong name, they call you your sister's name, it's your fault, not theirs. And it has to be accepted. So that kind of constant sort of not quite fitting in because, and and yeah, Sean, you know, I love your thing about, you know, we're all special because someone, someone once had a conversation with me that said, you know, fundamentally what we all have to get our heads around is none of us are special. And I, and I kind of went, well... <laughs> You know, there aren't that many identical twins. And they went, oh, okay. But, you know, on one hand, none of us are special, right? And on the other hand, all of us are special. But ideally, I think we want to be special for the things that we wish to determine rather than the things that people determine for us. Yeah, I think that's really, that's actually quite profound, darling, isn't it? Wow, (laughs) get me. Well, you definitely sound pretty special to me anyway. And this is the first time that I've met you. So all I know about you, Kate, is what we've seen from, um, you know, Digital Women, because you're one of our 40 women to watch. And, um, you know, some of the stuff that I've read about you. And from the stuff that I've read and from um, the stuff that Sean's sent over and that kind of thing, you are doing, it seems that you're doing so much. So you're definitely special in this way that you're, you know, and that you're not just, you know, you know you are other because you have all of these other things going on not just one person doing one thing not only are you doing all the things you do but you're also doing things for other people and you're trying to make change in the world as well so what I want to know because you're a mum I'm a mum as well so I get that how do you do all of the things you do that's my first question and also I'd like you to tell us all um, all of the things that you're doing I'd like you to tell us all of these amazing things you're doing in your own words and in your own way and why you do it and then then we'll I think have a chat about how you got there but the first question how do you do all of this stuff and what is all this stuff that you're doing (laughs) So how do I do all this stuff? I do it, I think, fundamentally because I have the attention span of a gnat's anus. See, now we're getting into too much information, right? I get bored really easily. I pick things up really quickly. And therefore, I like to dip in and out of things, you know, almost bringing that art thing in. You know, I'm a bit of a Picasso, jack of all trades, master of none. You know, try it all for a little bit, but but never quite be at my forte or, or the forte. I definitely never want to be the subject matter expert on anything you know to be that heavily in the vertical there are loads of people doing that and they're brilliant and amazing um but it's absolutely not where i want to be um i want to be bringing all those amazing people together and and helping them create magic 
so God help us if I'm the cleverest person in the room, that that's a travesty. So how do I do it? I just, I think I, I just kind of flip from one thing to another, um, which is probably not what your listeners want to be doing. What they really want to be doing is focusing very hard on, on specific things. I know there's that theory about, you know, multitasking means that we're relatively rubbish at everything rather than sort of really getting down into one thing. But I think what I try to do is allocate time so I can be heavily focused on one thing and then heavily focused on another thing, but not to the point where I just, I can't face into it again because I've spent so much time in something and so much depth of something that there's, it it kind of feels like it's gone a bit dry, if that makes sense. And, you know, someone who has a daughter, I want her to see that, you know, all things are possible. I want her to not be constrained by either her self-beliefs or her experiences of what the world tells her. I want her to just sit there and go, no, I want to do that. And I know that Sean touched before on the fact that, you know, in, in my educational process, probably in, in Sean's too, but yeah, I'll be judgmental here, Lucy. I think you're a bit younger than the pair of us, so not so much necessarily in yours, but I think it is still there. You know, that desire to say, I have passions and interests in X, Y, and Z, but the school says, oh, no, well, if you want to look at X, you can only do X and a, and a few things around that. And and to sort of push against that and say, but I want to do I want to do all of it. I don't want to be pigeonholed right now. I think I have something to offer in, in each of these spaces and each of these spaces are really interesting to me. And therefore, I will be motivated to learn and to absorb more about those spaces. You know, I want her to see that all things are possible. It doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't it doesn't matter where you are. There's there's an opportunity to be had if you have a passion and an interest and a, you know, a fire in your belly to go do something, go do it. That's, that fits so brilliantly with the um, with the spirit and the practicalities of what you're doing with digital women, doesn't it? Lucy, with the training, with the community, with the support and stuff. You know, that idea that you can, you're not, you're not defined by where you're born, who you're born to. You, the, you, I mean, it's, it's massively important that people have a, a level of opportunity and I'll never stop agitating for that in my own way, but it, it, you don't necessarily have to be encased in, your life isn't encased in concrete. Um, and I think all three of us, knowing you, Lucy, as well, all three of us have kind of taken what we've been given or you know, inherited or been born into and gone, no, stuff that. I'm going to do this instead. So I think that's that's really, that's what you kind of, it gives you hope, doesn't it? But as Lucy was saying just now, Kate, you know, and we all three of us know this too, our experiences that many times you need the courage, the, the injection of courage from your friends, from your girlfriends, from your networks, from your communities, as well as the practical stuff around connections and avenues into that new knowledge and stuff so and and just talking about that those efforts as well not not just your own sort of activity to, for yourself which you're very very serious and very successful about if I may say so those other aspects that Lucy was talking about where you go out of your way to create networks and connections and support other women and other men to do that as well can you just Talk a little bit about what that looks like in the real world in your life, Kate. So I am sort of super conscious that fundamentally people can support you or people can block you. And it, and it really doesn't matter how hard you spin your wheels or how much you have to offer. If people that are required to support you and and aid that propulsion in whichever direction you want to go aren't there, it's devastating to the the individual. And I think that the human piece that says everyone has a value, everybody is valuable, is is super important. You know, I, I've been on the receiving end of purposes being fundamentally discarded in terms of my value or my value to the sort of external world. And therefore, you know, having felt that, having experienced it, I, I recognise that it's a really shitty place to be. And therefore, if I can support people to progress, to join up some dots, to, you know, move forward in whatever direction they're trying to do, then I think it behoves me, it behoves all of us, but I need to do it myself. It behoves me to support that. So while I delighted to create connections, and I do try always to ask the person I'm connecting somebody too, if it's okay if I do it first. I do occasionally let enthusiasm get ahead of me and just join people up and hope that whoever I've 
brought into that sort of triangle is is kind of okay with me having to do that you know beg forgiveness rather than permission sometimes but um I, I am also conscious that as much as I like to do that sometimes I take a bit longer to create those connections than I would prefer so you having said that, I know I've got two people that I've promised them some connections into things last week and I haven't done it yet. So I'm busy feeling slightly guilty about that and I know I need to do it. So I should get on it. But I fundamentally, and I always have believed that we are all collectively stronger together. The outcomes that we can create, the the thinking that we can generate is so much stronger when we have more voices in the room rather than less, you know, to start with the question of, you know, this is an idea, let's think about all the reasons why it's rubbish. Um, that enables not only a really transparent conversation for the people in the room who think it is rubbish, um, but also it enables you to think about different ways in which, again, you can make your outcome more fit for purpose, more robust, less rubbish. And also when you take it forward through whatever sort of governance processes and things that you need to go through, because invariably those exist, you are really well placed for all those naysayers who come back to you and go, well, that's a rubbish idea and this is why. And you can go, oh yeah, we thought of that six months ago and, and here's our response to this and this is why you are incorrect. So I think just some of the sort of enabling transparency, enabling connections, enabling more voices to be heard, for me personally, can only be a good thing. So on that note, it more voices being personally a good thing. If you think about the, the voices that you listen to, so not just the voices <laughs> that were, were, no, that you've listened to in your life is what I meant. So right? the, the ones in my head. <laughs> Listen, I personally, I think some of those voices are the, have the most sensible things to say you could possibly have, Kate, right? So, and even Plato mm -hmm. said, know thyself, right? So, you know, we've got, we've got something to hang on to there, that there's method in the madness. It's allowed, it's respectable. So some of those voices that have been most useful to you, so let's forget, and actually that could be negative voices as well as positive voices. In terms of your development as a woman in technology, not a technologist, as you've said, but a woman in technology and digital, trying to make change, trying to be the change you want to see, trying to support others as well. What are those voices and what have they said, Kate, that has enabled you to move forward? Well, we've talked about it before, like feelings of feelings of not really feeling that you know enough can be a great driver because it leads to curiosity it can lead to paranoia obviously but if you channel it right you can you can move it into curiosity that says why is something like that how is something like that you know is there something that we could do to make it better those those kind of curiosity questions is it Miranda that has that phrase of is it me it's just like is it just me or you know um dot 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 whatever that might be and and it enables some of those sort of more open questions to to sort of just say, look, I, I know fundamentally I'm I'm going to be using some of the outcomes that, of the things that we're talking about, or I have been on the receiving end of some of the challenges that we're talking about. And therefore, if it doesn't make sense to me as a user, how on earth could it possibly make sense as a product owner or a platform owner or a customer experience, you know, lead? You know, you, you have to have your sort of both feet firmly planted in the end user you could you could build the shiniest fuzziest most brilliant thing ever known to man but actually if it's not solving a problem or not satisfying a curiosity that people have then you know it's not going to go anywhere now having said that i i look at some of the things that my daughter sees on tiktok and she thinks they're hilarious and i'm kind of like i have no idea why that's funny or, you know, how that sort of pertains to anything, but okay. So clearly that's another reason about why we need more people in the room. Like, so we can have all those different diverse age ranges, cultures, backgrounds, religions, you know, approaches to life, the whole thing, because I'm I'm conscious that I, I can sit there and think I have a growth mindset or I, I'm a great lateral thinker, but, you know, there's always going to be many more different perspectives that I can't even begin to plug into. Absolutely. I, I just um I just find you so inspiring, Kate, just hearing about you and just, you know, reading about you and hearing what you're saying now. And I just wanted to go back and I'm actually conscious that we have you haven't told us everything that you do yet to the listeners. They can hear that, you know, you're you know, you're fantastic, but we we still don't know what you do. So I'm gonna go back again and I'm gonna say I 
really related to you when you said um, that you kind of get bored easily and you, um, you know, you're, you're a master of none. And some the other day we was doing, we had a meeting with our other digital women and um, someone said, oh, I've been called a jack of all trades, master of none. And somebody else in the group said, actually, well, the, the, the full quote is jack of all trades, master of none, but it's much better than being a master of one. Or something like yes. that. Yeah, 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 I yeah. That hugely inspiring as well. And I think there's this, um, you know, there's this expectation, like you were saying, that you niche into something and that's what you do. And it's especially in digital, actually. Like either you do social media or you do analytics or ads or something else in technology um, or whatever. You should be specialising. I find that really difficult because, you know, I grew up on a market stall selling products and then um, I still sell products, but I still do all of these different things. And I'll get so bored if I sat there and did social media all day long because it's just not for me. So I relate. So many other women relate to that. But I think I'm frightened to say, you know, I'm not the expert in just this one thing. I'm actually really good at this and this and this and this as well. So it's really good that you've said that. And the fact that you've been able to become so successful by being like a jack of all trades, I think massively inspiring. And other women can look up to you and say, actually, Kate can do it. So can I. I'm going to learn from her. But Kate, please tell me, what do you do? And uh, you've had a really squiggly career. So I want to know about that. Where did you start? How did you get there? And then I want to find out more about why you went to lots of different schools and that kind of thing when you were younger. We didn't dive into that enough either. So please tell me, what do you do, Kate? So I did a very long time ago at school. I did maths, economics and art and art history because they're the things that I liked. And then off the back of that, I went to Harrow University and did a foundation art course where I decided I really wanted to be a silversmith, a jewellery designer. And I loved sculptural things and making stuff. And I was told very firmly that that was not an option by my mother. <laughs> so, but uh, there was still the re- absolute the requirement to go to university. So I applied for numbers courses I thought I wanted to do package design then and and sort of because I love the way you can um it's part of that sort of marketing selling thing where you can make something catch the eye impulse purchases all those things that we're not allowed to do anymore you know no more sweets at checkouts kind of thing and I'm I'm fascinated by how small changes whether it's in in text or color or shapes actually make a material difference to how you interact with stuff and i'm very sort of visually orientated about things generally because i think you the the power of an image to give you so much more information than quite frankly uh, an excel spreadsheet oh my god it's so boring um and also you know you don't you don't need any specialist skills to interpret a picture necessarily but you probably do to do some sort of pivot table on a on an excel spreadsheet so again it it removes the ability for more people to engage with whatever it is you're doing so I didn't get onto uh, a package design course but I did get onto a history of drawing and printmaking course at Camberwell which is one of the University of the Arts London collective, so at Central St. Martins and London College of Fashion Printing, yeah, blah, blah, blah. and it was a history and chemistry course with philosophy, which, so I'll try not to be too deep ever, Sean. That went really well, but halfway through that, I had a car accident and I broke my back. I had to take a chunk of time off the course, was asked if I wanted to retake the second year. I was just like, uh, no, um, I've already had a, you know, my year out was spent at Harrow to all intents and purposes. All my friends were, were going to graduate in 93, which is when I graduated. So I didn't want to spend an extra year doing it. And I also didn't know how I was going to fund it. And I was already in a position where, you know, you're living in halls, but you don't know how you're going to pay anything, but you work each holiday and the pretext that that's next term's rent or, you know, whatever, a big a big night out is a packet of chips on the way home, not on the bus because not taking the bus meant you could buy the chips. So slightly bonkers experience on that, but sort of came out of that, but still not able to um, sit or stand particularly for long periods of time. So I got a job with the V&A Museum and um, volunteering so I had to sign on, get benefits, put my cash on the windowsill every week, um, doing three days a week there and then four days a week off. So it was two days a week of kind of doing, gosh, I'm dating myself so badly. I would be, do step classes, lots of drugs, painkillers and step classes to try and strengthen 
you know, myself physically. And then after a year of doing that, um, I had an opportunity to apply to be a art curator in a private art collection, which I was lucky enough to get. And I spent a wonderful couple of years um, working out of a private individual's house, buying, selling, doing exhibitions around the world, making some amazing friends at Harvard University and all sorts of you know bonkers stuff. And then because I don't have a trust fund, clearly, if I have to not take the bus for a packet of chips and art salaries are notoriously appalling. I kind of had to leave that because I couldn't, I couldn't pay electricity, even on a one pound meter, I couldn't pay my electricity bills. And I was kind of like 27. And I was just like, this is just a bit rubbish. But when you try and move fields, A, the people in your current field make you feel really bad because um, I think at the time I was kind of one of a few specialists of, of a particular type of printing from the 17th and 18th century. And they were like, oh, but, you know, you're an expert, you can't leave. And I was just like, oh, yeah, but I'm a human being. I need to be warm. Sean will tell you the one thing I'm allergic to is being cold. I think, you know, to be warm is such a luxury. And from there, you know, you can't get the junior jobs because you have too much experience. You can't get the more senior roles because you don't have any specific experience in that whatever it is you're trying to move into. So I went to contracting and through contracting, I ended up with a position at Citigroup, uh, an amazing lady there. She was in a very unfortunate position where her fiance, who was uh, the elephant keeper at Regent Zoo, was unfortunately killed by one of his elephants. And while she was off, real life's mad, huh? While she was off on compassionate leave, they needed someone to cover her space. And I took that opportunity as a contractor and through my time there as a contractor um, just engaging with people having conversations with people you know the heads would come over from the US there was we went to a pub you know you got chatting as you do seeing how much very strong sort of bitters you can give to the US guys who are used to very weak lagers and um, they were talking about moving all their hard copy research online with this newfangled thing called the internet um, to cut down on hard copy distribution costs. And through that conversation, I ended up running the Semia division for what is now City Velocity. So it was the starting was just hard copy research distribution, a little bit like Facebook. No, not Facebook. Which one is it? Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um. Amazon, which started obviously as a bookstore, um, and now it's everything. So City Velocity started as research distribution, profiles, automated alerts, and um, it has become this extraordinary um, front door to the whole bank globally for just about everything you'd want to do. So yeah, and then, so now I'm, you know, fast forward 20 years in, in finance, I still don't think of myself as a banker because I haven't gone those traditional routes. I didn't do finance degrees. I did do a master's in marketing and e-commerce as it was called then, just to make my CV look a little more sensible um, because nobody in banking wants to see, you know, history of drawing and printmaking as your most recent qualification. You know, I could draw a good picture. And so, yeah, fast forward to now and I'm still, you know, bringing that lateral thinking and that user end user mindset to, how is fintech being in, implemented? How do we create partnerships to accelerate outcomes? How do we support each other? How do we get more p voices in the room? How do we make sure that accessibility and understanding can be brought to more people? I'm, I'm not a big fan of the intellectually elite slash exclusivity thing that I think lots of people have going on. You know, the idea that I can use one complicated word rather than a sentence to describe what I mean. And while, uh, yes, I know what the complicated word is, I'm also conscious that only maybe one or two other people in the room are going to know that. So I will always be the person that puts their hand up and says, when you use that acronym, what does it mean? So SME, is it subject matter expert? Is it small to medium enterprises? You know, there are any number of three letter acronyms that could mean any number of things depending on where you come from and and sometimes when you ask that question even the person who used the acronym or the uh you know overly lengthy word doesn't know what it means themselves so i'm always going to be that person with no shame I'm, I'm i'm a mother i can't have any shame right so you know you leave it on the floor in the birthing space but just that person that asks, asks the stupid question, if you like, that says, you know, what are you talking about? What does that mean? Why, why is it relevant? <laughs>
I love that. And I think it's so important, especially in, um, you know, tech and digital when there are so many and finance as well, of course, there are so many of these acronyms. And I took a test the other day and there were 200 acronyms for the Facebook ads and ads platforms. You know, you've got CPC, uh, like just just so many, not just CPC, but there's just like hundreds and hundreds of different acronyms, things that you need to know just to like understand them. So you can do this test, so you can pass it and that kind of thing. And it's like, how do most people know what that is? They probably don't. And it's really important that we kind of call people out who are just, you know, frightening people with jargon. And also it's kind of like the more that we do that, not only are people frightened by the jargon and they feel that they can't ask the question without looking stupid and they don't want to appear stupid in a room full of supposedly clever people, the less we're sort of encouraging people to think for themselves, because actually, when you have that kind of quantity of an acronym, what you're doing is learning a list to pass a test. Yeah. You're, and it's kind of like traditional schooling. You're learning subjects to pass an exam. You're learning frameworks and approaches to understanding English literature, text, whatever it might be. But you're not actually learning. You're not actually engaging with the content. What you're doing is learning to pass an exam. You're not being encouraged to think. You certainly don't want to say what you think of your own opinion. What you have to give is the opinion that's going to get you the highest mark, right? And and I think we although, have a lot. Although, okay, I mean, that's obviously true. But learning how to think critically and in a way that you can then communicate that with others on a, in a, with a common language and a common approach so other people can join you in that critical thinking is a set of skills that's really important, isn't it? I mean, if you can take the skill from it rather than... But I, I, obviously, I mean, I, I... Well, not obviously. I am the person here who doesn't have children. So I, my experience of school is 40 years. Well, I get, well, it depends, I suppose, doesn't it, when you say school stops. So, but that, that process of, of learning how to think and talk critically but in a way that that encourages the, the collaboration that you're both that we all believe in i think it's really important and i think those skills are not necessarily you wouldn't necessarily know them unless somebody said you don't have to think like me but here's what somewhere a way that you can actually start to break down other people's ideas start to critically question um what you're being told as fact and i think in our world of fintech and insurtech and insurance and digital generally i think that necessity to be a critical thinker is more important probably than it has ever been because there's a huge amount of bullshit isn't there Kate constantly swirling around yeah (laughs) yeah I mean I think if we can stay curious without imposing our own ego or being overly bombastic about it you know the curiosity in itself will lead to open questions which will hopefully not be seen as an aggressive challenge but but more of a just a just a, a gentle challenge, if you like, you know, you, you don't have to be the bother booted rebel to be a rebel, right? You you can just ask what you th- probably think are not difficult questions, but because no one's asked them before, they become difficult questions. But actually, I think that's part of the process that is part of the, the critical thinking piece. And, and once you ask a question, or you or you reflect on a perspective or an insight or perception that different people have, hopefully the people in the room are not then going to become unaware of what you've just raised that maybe they were previously unaware of you. When, you know, we've, we've talked about this, Sean, you know, if, if people offer you a perspective or a, a thought or um, an approach that you haven't necessarily bumped into before, you're not going to unknow it just because you, don't like it or because it doesn't align with your stuff now what you have to do ideally is you know look at whatever your preconceptions or your perceptions were going into something and and either approach the piece that you've been given as you say in in a critically and curious way that says oh didn't know that what does that mean does it change what I think Do, do I need now to um adjust my points of reference and and from there we all learn together, right? You know, we we have to have those people giving us their thoughts and opinions, whether we like them or not. You know, I think we've lost the art of debate, and it's just kind of like if you don't agree with me, I'm just going to shout louder, as opposed to actually be curious about why that person doesn't agree with you. 
I love that. I love the way that you've um, you put that because curiosity is so important. And that's how we all learn and grow, isn't it? By asking questions. Um, the million whys. <laughs> yeah, I think um, often you can feel like you're the annoying one because you're always the one asking questions and it's a little bit irritating. But actually, it's asking those questions is how we expand the world around us, isn't it? And I think also the more that we ask questions, the more other people feel emboldened that it's okay for them to ask questions too. So I hopefully after the first couple of rounds of everybody being bored of my voice, uh, other people will be asking questions. But I can always be relied on to ask the first question that can then get everyone else going. Brilliant. I love that. So you're so you're confident. Um, so you're confident, which is amazing. Um, I just wanted to know, actually, um, why do you care so much? Like you're helping, you're helping. I know this is quite a loaded question. And because a lot of people, they just go through life, right? And they just do what they need to do to pay the bills and get on with it and just live a quiet life and, you know, not be curious and not worry about anything else. I know that's not digital women. I know you're all, you know, you're all, you know, pushing forward. Um, but what, yeah, what, why do you care? Why do you care about diversity? Why do you care about other people's voices? Why do you care about, um, you know, bringing other people in? Why do you care about helping other people? I want to know why, like, what's the reason for it? I'm sure we could say it's entirely self-motivated because if I do it, hopefully someone will do it for me. You know, if again, if I do it, maybe someone will do it for somebody else. There is nothing worse than being excluded, to be minimised, to be dismissed, to not have a voice. Um, coming back to that thing of, you know, everyone has a value, everyone has value that they can bring to the table. They they probably just aren't being positioned or showcased in a way that allows that to happen. If we if we go back to quotes, you know, if you if you judge every fish on its ability to ride a bicycle, it'll always be shit. You know, I, I also don't necessarily believe in feedback. For me, feedback is like, these are all the things that you did wrong. So if we take the analogy of the fish on the bicycle, we'll go, hey, fish, you're crap at riding a bicycle. Can you just, you know, do it faster, harder, get better balance. These are all the things that you can do to get better on your bicycle because you're really rubbish on it the last quarter. And that feedback, all it's going to do is give that fish a series of things that are still unachievable while trying to get them better at being you know, good on a, on a bike. So it's going to be with the best of intentions on both sides. I mean, the person wants to be better at, at being on the bike and, you know, the line manager is going to want them to be better at being on the bike so they can progress to whatever the next type of bike is or whatever that plan is. But if you just step back and said, actually, do you know what? You've got no bloody legs and no feet and, you know, you're never going to be any good at riding a bicycle, no matter what I give you, even if it's, a, if it's a tricycle, you know, you're still going to be shit at riding a bicycle. So, Fish, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? What is your unique skill set that will allow you to shine and you to thrive and also bring that skill set to bear in, in this corporation? And maybe that fish is going to go, you know, I'm really good at finding plankton or I'm really good at swimming huge distances. And then you can sit there and say, OK, well, currently you're sat on a bicycle being no use to anyone, including yourself. So how do we find that role that best suits your skill set how do we then make sure that you are given goals and targets and spaces in which your skill set can shine and really bring that to the bloom for both sides and in the meantime we're going to find someone with you know giraffe like legs what not giraffe-like legs because their necks are longer than their legs. But, you know, we're going to find someone with, you know, hugely elastic legs um, who loves whipping them around at speed and stick them on the latest Peloton bike. And hoorah, you know, you've got the person who is never going to get better at being on the bicycle and will just constantly be just broken a little bit more with every single piece of feedback that you give them on how they could be better at riding a bicycle. And you're going to put the person who's best suited for riding the bicycle and they're going to thrive too. So you you get everything that you need and those individuals, those human beings, the, you know, the, the fish and the very long-legged giraffe are, are also going to feel valued and worthwhile and like they're able to contribute. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in feeding forward, not feeding back. So I think though, would it be true to say, Kate, that... This is coming from a place of your own personal lived experience, right? And having empathy and a determination. Yes. It's not going to happen to you and it's not going to happen to other people if you can possibly help it, right? Ideally, yes. That's my preference. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So if I can help people in terms of their feed forward, where, where do they want to be? What do they want to do? What do they think of their skill sets? 
what do they think that they can you know offer that is unique to them then you know let's find a space where that can thrive it's a massive irony isn't it Kate it's a massive irony that the worlds that we operate in and and in fact you know in digital generally loose right everybody talks about innovation but people don't actually really talk about people not really So to my mind, I mean, you're just reinforcing what I already believe, Kate. So this could be a case of me not being curious enough, right? But to my mind, how can you possibly talk about innovation and transformation if you're not looking at your people in the way that along the lines that you've just described? If you can't find spaces for talented, purposeful, energetic, brilliant people, If you can't find the right space for the self-expression and for them to turn all of that great energy into business outputs, which we all need, which all businesses need, it's not about technology. I mean, I think that debate has finally, hopefully, please God, been had. It's not about the hardware, is it? All the software, it's about the people. So if you can't do that, then you're on a hiding to nothing if you're trying to transform anything, whether it's your, your product offering, your website, Uh, to be more customer centric or whatever it happens to be or indeed your whole business I think it's mad it's crazy madness that we see all the time isn't it and I think there are there are some extraordinary companies who are who are doing innovation and doing innovation differently so if you look at people like um Brompton Bicycles, they have a write down fund. So a fund of money that they put to one side and say, look, this is just, we're going to assume this money is lost. And they invite like in a Dragon's Den style, various employees to come in with ideas as bonkers as you like um, and position them. And the expectation is because they've already written that money off that whatever they put their money towards will fail. And so almost that that fear of failure that, oh my God, it's got to be successful or I've got to make sure that the spending of this money is a is a positive thing, is taken off the table. And there is a, as a real opportunity to see where an idea, a thought goes. And, you know, the guys at Brompton have said some of their best ideas, some of their best innovations have come out of that, of that think tank. And just going back to, you know, the voice of the user, I, rem- I remember a long time ago when I was at Citigroup and we had been running the City Velocity platform as it was then for about... 18 months and we had definitely had first mover advantage at the very beginning and all the other banks were beginning to sort of get on board as well and because they had come to it slightly later in the party and technology obviously moves at such a rapid pace they were doing some interesting other things that maybe we weren't doing and I was you know I'm out seeing customers I'm at five countries a week bonkers amounts of travel which is why I changed I was on an Australian passport till I was 29 but the Schengen visa and and before the European Union god help us we're about to go back to it getting a visa for every country you want to breathe in and out on was such a trauma I got my British passport which I had been eligible for anyway and it allowed me to travel a lot. But I was coming back going, customers just want a password, a cookie that is going to get remembered because at that time it was a new thing. And the risk guys and the security guys were like, oh, but we've just put some some extra functionality onto the platform. And, and therefore, you know, it can't remember the cookie because maybe someone will go and look in a, you know, if you imagine a corridor with lots of doors off it, maybe they'll look in a door that they're not supposed to because, you know, that one password is the, is the master key for everything. But hey, we could put this really, you know, great picture in on the front page and, you know, it'd look really groovy. And you're just kind of like, guys, you know, these customers just want something that's going to remember their password. If we need to stick a second layer of authentication in there for whatever the more sensitive parts in, let's do that for the sort of the 20, 10% of customers that it's affecting. But but when everybody else on the street is offering a cookie to the means that they can just, I mean, as we do now, even with our fingerprint, you know, we just log in and we don't really think about it that heavily. You know, it's ridiculous that we're not only not remembering their password, but we're also asking them to change it like sort of every six weeks or whatever it was at that point. And you know what? I don't want to put a picture on my homepage. This structure could look like teletext, which is a very old school thing. Google it. 
be curious. And as long as it's giving the people who are using it the information, they're not going to care because they're going to be ahead of the curve. However, if I slap a picture of a Ferrari on there or something equally kind of ridiculous and stereotypical, you know, half these countries, the, you know, you look at South Africa at that point, and even today, to some extent, you know, the pipe into the country is so small that by the time they've finished loading the picture of whatever it might be, you know, they'll have logged on to three other websites and got the information and, and still be waiting for ours to load the first page. So, you know, some of that sort of practical feedback about what is useful and what is not, you know, sometimes, you know, it's great that it looks pretty, but actually, is it is it functional? Because if it's not functional, it really doesn't matter if it's pretty or not. So customer experience, you're saying, is the most important thing, essentially. Yeah, I mean, look at the pain points. You know, there are some pain points that people don't want to solve or, or you know, you need to have some wax in the system. Like when we delete things, you know, if actually 99.999 times it was just delete and that one time, we'd be like, oh, I've just lost everything. You know, the ability to undo or to just be, you know, are you sure you want to delete? You can go, oh, no, no, back up, back up. Um, you do need some grit in the system, but at the same time, if we can eradicate the grit that doesn't need to be there um, and it's not value isn't it Kate? yeah just focus on the add value, value. To the customer yeah yeah and but add value to yeah the, the majority of the customers not you know someone who had an interesting idea in the corner and you can do it because it's the latest technology or the shiny new thing that it's where's where's the value where are we supporting our customers to do that even if you're really really absolutely 100% convinced that what you're going to do is going to change people's lives for the better. They just don't know it yet. My God, there's a particular thing that just popped into my head, a memory that I had of an absolutely spectacular failure on my part to do the right thing by bringing people with you, right? I was in too much of a hurry. Frankly, I was on my way out of the organization. I wanted to get it done before I went. No one knew I was on my way out of the organization, but I was. And it just spectacularly, I, I can't believe, even now I look back, I think, what the hell were you thinking, Sean? But, you know, it was coming from a, from my perspective. You know, I, I knew it would make their, their lives a lot easier, a whole group of people. But it doesn't really matter if they don't believe that, does it? That's the classic thing about change and innovation. And it's either, it's your colleagues can go, no, thanks. And your customer can go, no, thanks. It's the same thing, isn't it, Kate? And and again, that comes back to, you know, who are the voices that you've got in the room when you're thinking of the ideas? How do you have that buy-in from the beginning? How do you leverage storytelling to create the analogies that will allow people to engage and ex access whatever it is that you're trying to explain? So... I mean, I know for my husband, if I'm if I'm wanting to do some decorating, I have to show him some pictures. He get he knows that whatever I deliver will invariably look okay slash really nice. However, he can't necessarily visualize it in his head in the same way I can. So I need to make him like a little mood board, and then he can kind of breathe in and out and relax wow. a bit. Wow, lucky Roland is all I can say. <laughs> but then equally, you know, it's the same with with you know, senior stakeholders with, with leadership teams, you know, you need to find the analogy that works for them as to what's, what's in it for them. People are always motivated by what's in it for them. And if they can't see a value for themselves, whether it's, you know, a new revenue stream or, you know, m more positive NPS scores or whatever it might be, as well as, you know, eradicating the pain point for the customer, you know, you, you need them to have, you know, multiple reasons to say yes, as opposed to no, because there's only so much budget and, it, and it's generally massively over allocated already, even when you just put the regulatory and legal mandatory stuff in there, then you in nine times out of 10, the stuff I'm talking about is the nice to haves. And if you're going to deliver the nice to haves, then you really have to make sure that you are ticking more than one box and that you have significantly more than one stakeholder who's willing to go to war with you to deliver it. Well, when I hear you speak, Kate, you're just so passionate about this you're just so passionate and it really comes through and i'm guessing sean feels that as well and that's why sean's like you we need to speak to kate she is amazing but you are just so passionate you're just sitting here like in everything you say 
absolutely you can tell it's lighting you up and do you know what I find really amazing I'm just gonna go back to your story again because I'm loving all the advice that you're giving so practical and I think everybody who's listening is gonna be like wow this woman knows her stuff and um, I'm learning from every sentence here because I'm learning from every sentence here I think you're incredible Um, so I just want to go back to your story again so you you started off going through all over the world, going to different schools, being a twin, always feeling like your other, never really kind of fitting into the mould. And then you wanted to be an artist, a silversmith, and you went to art school, and um, and then you broke your back, which must have put you behind all of your friends and made you feel incredible. You know, that's incredibly difficult, isn't it? And it makes you, I guess, think about life and what it is that you want to do. Um, Essentially, you're a creative person. You started off creative. You want to, you love art and you're into that. Um, And you end up in finance and technology, which are completely different things, I think. They seem like completely different things. But, and you are completely an accidental techie as well in the way that you've gone from art and creativity and working in um, you know galleries and that kind of thing to you know working in finance technology you know finance and technology and absolutely loving it but I can see that your approach isn't technical it's completely creative and it's very um person you know person or human being orientated and I just think that's amazing that's all I wanted to say. It wasn't a question. I just wanted to kind of recap on what I thought of you and how, I, why I think you're hugely inspiring because your story is really inspiring. Oh, thanks, Lucy. I mean, I think for me, I've had role models of women who are like super successful in front of me. And my my grandmother was, to all intents and purposes, a single mother. My mother was, to all intents and purposes, a single mother. And you know, you you see these people who are strong because they have no choice. And we can all be placed in in scenarios that make us strong because we have no choice. You know, that doesn't mean that we're strong at two o'clock in the morning. Um, And it absolutely doesn't mean that we don't have all the same doubters and distractors in our heads that so many other people have. But I think for me, you know, I've I've had the distractors in my head and I've also had distractors around me that have almost presciently said, oh, we, you're never going to amount to anything. You know, I was not the clever twin. Um, that was my sister. So that sort of life of comparison, you know, I broke my back. You know, I was really lucky that um, I am able to be upright. I can walk. I I still have painful days, but, um, you know, you, you get, you, you know, different um, sense of normal after, after a while, which I'm sure everyone can relate to and it's it's almost kind of that's the motivator that says you know I need to show that there are other ways of doing being approaching things for other people who are like me who potentially feel other and they look up the tree and they're like okay I can see successful women but none of them look like me none of them think like me they've all gone a particular route you know if you look at diversity of of thought neurodiversity Um, And as much as we can have gender diversity within financial services, if everybody did more or less the same qualification at more or less the same kind of university, you don't have diversity at all. You've just got, you know, 50 percent women and 50 percent men on on the floor, which is good. Don't get me wrong, but it's not diverse. And so I think I am motivated to almost prove to myself that I'm potentially not quite as shit as as maybe I was written to be or that I may be shit in any number of things, but, you know, maybe I have value to offer too. And, you know, I'll be that fish. But so, yeah, it's, it's you know, the, the imposter syndrome, the inner voices, the external voices are huge motivators. And I do hope that for all the, all the people coming through who look up or see different things, never assume it was easy, never assume it was sort of preordained or on a, on a sort of silver platter because by hell it wasn't. But um, it is possible, slightly painful. You might lose a bit of your forehead along the way um, against a gravelly wall. But, um, you know, just I think it behoves us all to be quite authentic to who we are and, you know, if if we land in the stars, great. And if we don't quite, we'll have a really good view, as uh, a certain artist used to say. So um, if nothing else, I'm working on the good view. 
Amazing, absolutely amazing. And um, I don't know if you have any more questions, Sean, but I just wanted to, because I think that's an amazing point to leave on. But is there kind of a takeaway that you want digital women who are listening to this episode of the podcast today to be able to go away with? Um, I, I know they're probably feeling hugely inspired anyway, like I am. But is there anything that you would say to people listening um, that they could go away and do or, you know, to help them? Sure. So my my standard response for this is my yes and yes if, which Sean knows, and I got from an amazing lady called um, Vicky Linton, who used to be at Salesforce about, uh, I don't know, I must have spoken to her like three or four years ago. And, um, you know, it transpires, I was kind of doing it, but I was doing it much more consciously after I had the conversation with her that said, when when people make suggestions for things for you to do or projects for you to take on or things for you to look at, people often say, yes, but. Now, but means no. It invariably means no. It is immediately a handbrake that says, but, you know, these are all the reasons why it will be difficult. It will be hard. It can't happen. Not now. La, 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 la. Whereas if you change that dialogue to say yes, if, or yes, and. So I generally go with yes, if. You know, would, would you like to be a speaker on a panel? Yes, if I can go second. Because then I can get a gist, at least second. Because then I can get a gist of what everybody else is going to say and a guideline for what I might say off that first speaker. Whereas otherwise, maybe I say not very much and everybody else says loads. Maybe I say way too much and everybody else says hardly anything. And I feel like a bit of a dick. So there can be lots of those yes ifs. So yes, I'm gonna say yes to the opportunity. The if is gonna create the framework that allows you to get a little bit more comfortable with whatever the yes is. So absolutely not like fill the fear and do it anyway, because then all that happens is the next time you're you're asked to do something, you go, oh, I did it last time. It was blooming terrifying. And I hung on by my fingernails. I don't want to do that again. As opposed to, oh, I did it before. And I asked if I could go second. And I asked if, you know, I could not sit on a tall stool that I will invariably not be right, wearing the right length skirt for or my little short legs will fall off. You know, so I'm constantly feeling like I'm slightly unstable. You know, there will be a number of ifs that you say, you know, these are the things that can get me more comfortable with that. Yes. Um, and as time goes on, you'll probably have yes ifs because you'll think back and go, oh, I did it before and it was okay and I, and it went quite well. Like, John is now, you know, queen of the podcast and she is being on things as well as moderating things and, and showing everyone her expertise. So, you know, and, and I think that's brilliant because it allows you to grow in a really safe way or the yes ands that say, yes, I'll do that. And can I bring a friend, you know, and can I, you know, whatever it might be. So to make it even better, if you've got an idea of how to put in a frill. So I would encourage everybody to utilize your yes, if, and your yes, and, and delete both the words, sorry, and yes, but from their vocabularies. I love that so much. I've just learned something today and that's exactly what I'm going to be doing. Every time someone's asked me to speak at something now or anything, I'm going instead of yes, but it's yes, if. And I just think that's so powerful, isn't it? It's really good. It's, and you're setting those boundaries as well for the, them and for yourself, which is really, really important. Thank you, Kate. I've said inspirational a lot of times today because I think you are. I think you're amazing. I'm sure that everybody still doesn't understand the huge array of things that you're actually doing. So we'll make sure that we write this up with all of that information as well. Um, but Sean, it would be amazing if you, I know you're not feeling, she's not feeling amazing at the moment, has a little bit of a sinus, you know, because of the tree pollen and that kind of thing. Sean, <laughs> you are the best ever podcast roundup person. I don't know what it's called. But I'm going to call it the podcast roundup person, Sean Minnie. Absolutely incredible. Could you round up this podcast and tell everybody how amazing Kate is and what they can do to learn from her? Right. So the really good thing about this is, of course, that although I know it's coming now, uh, dear listener, because of the experience from Lucy last time, um, what I'm not doing is writing a paragraph because you know, partly because you just know when someone's reading something, right, rather than just thinking it. So you all know that I'm completely biased because Kate's a mate and I've known her and she's inspired me and we're working together on some stuff as well. 
But okay, Luce, I'll try and take up your challenge. And I am really terrified at the bar you've just set for me, by the way. I mean, I'm just, you know, being vulnerable and being open about it. Okay. John, I'm slightly terrified. I'm slightly <laughs> terrified about what you're going to say. Run up. Yes, for Christ's sake, just get on with it. Look, I think what we've got here. So first of all, I think there are very few people who would talk as candidly about their own personal feelings of being, in Kate's words, minimised and ignored and undervalued and blocked. Um, you know, there's no euphemistic language in there, isn't there? Is there? There's no, I've been challenged. I've, I've had a few of this, that and the other. Um, so I think that, I think for me, there's a real kind of reflection on how comfortable are we at talking about our own story in such a very personal, honest and deep way? Not everybody is. So I'm not saying listen to Kate and do what she's done. But I think it's really, I think it's something to really think about and admire and um, acknowledge and recognise. But don't feel pressurised to, to, to be the same way because not everybody feels comfortable doing it. It's not right for everybody to, to tell their story in that in that way. But this, her story is about, again, another example of a woman who from the outside looks so completely bloody sorted, you'd probably worry about trying to connect with her on LinkedIn because you'd get a really snooty, snarky response or just totally ignored, right? So again, for, for everyone listening, you know, real women doing amazing things, coping with real life, whatever that looks like, illness, motherhood, rejection at work, success at work, failure at work, all the rest of it, but still curious, still looking forward, still trying to find that place to feel where you can have the self-expression and you can really get stuff done with other people. There's no app, there's, there's, you know, that whole, that whole, we need to work together and support each other can sound a bit kind of waffly and a bit insubstantial right I think one of the other great things about what we've heard today is that Kate's really kind of given us a recipe a series of things to think about and do around how you can actually make that instinct for supporting other women really work for you so I think there's those three things really Lucy you know the personal vulnerability and, and the story the yeah the 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 inspiration behind what you can achieve and and Kate's not shy about saying a lot of that is luck right but hard work and being curious and then, you know, really thinking, getting some real concrete takeouts around if I, how can I help others? How can they help me? And particularly, as you said, that really powerful phrase, yes, if, and yes, and. I mean, I think if I had to pick one thing that's come out of that, this really rich conversation, I think people should be scribbling that down now and making sure they think about it and use it. How was that? I don't think I'd get an A star for that one, Lucy, Kate, but, um, and I'm shallow enough to care about what kind of mark I get from you. So, but that's what I would be saying. And thank you so much, Kate. And it's been brilliant listening to the two of you as well, actually. Really fantastic. Kate, where can our listeners go to find you? So how can they find you? How can they reach out to you if you want them to? How can they, um, you know, find out more about you and what you do and that kind of thing? So I'm I'm obviously on LinkedIn just as myself. I think I come up as Kate B rather than Kate Bon, but um, you'll find me. I'm an accelerator and incubator lead. I don't think there's too many in there with Kate B as a name. Um, I'm also on Instagram, um, although less frequently this year. I think I've also been caught slightly on the hop by this third lockdown. I found it really hard. So Instagram and Facebook less populated this year than they have been but also there under my own name, Kate underscore Bon, and occasional Twitter fiend, but I'm really not funky enough for Twitter. I know Sean is an absolute Twitter fiend, but oh, um, I... You are, you're brilliant. All things are relative, my love. So yes, occasionally Twitter, but um, I'm not I'm not particularly great at that. And I don't necessarily see stuff that's sent to me via Twitter. But um, yeah, just LinkedIn. And I also have um, a website, katebond.com, which people are welcome to check out and have a laugh. Thank you so much, Kate. It's been 
um, absolutely amazing to find out about you and um, to hear about your story. And to everybody listening, I hope you'll agree. You'll agree with me when I say Kate is fantastic. She's inspirational, and you should go and check her out. And obviously, we want to hear about your story as well. So listen to Kate's story. Share with us on social media what you've learned and how you found this episode. But also, don't be shy to share your own story and let everybody else know what you're doing as well. So thank you very much, Kate. And thank you, Sean. It's been great to have you here today. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Her Story, powered by Digital Women. If you would like to connect with us further, please head over to our community on LinkedIn by typing in Digital Women on Facebook by typing in Digital Women, or you can connect with us on Twitter or Instagram by using digital where we're replacing the L with a one and then women. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Lucy Shall, that's Lucy, S-H-A-L-L, or on LinkedIn as Lucy Hall. You can also connect with Sean. Yeah, you can. Just search for Sean Millie on LinkedIn. Absolutely. So, Thank you very much for tuning in today. We can't wait for you to tune in to the next episode.